MSW Media. This episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. Have you thought about talking to someone but were unsure of where to start? BetterHelp makes it easy to connect with a licensed professional counselor specializing in the issues you want to talk about. Join BetterHelp and you can schedule a secure video and phone session or text your therapist from anywhere in the world on your schedule. Listeners of The Daily Beans get 10% off their first month with discount code DAILYBEANS. If you've been wanting to talk to someone, go to betterhelp.com dailybeans, fill out the questionnaire, and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com dailybeans. News, Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, August 9th, 2019. Today, a Greg Craig update. Trump financials are handed over. An NRA member sues them. Soul Cycle has no soul. An interview with Jen Budd and Andrew McCabe files suit. I'm your host, AG, and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well. Big news day. Holy crap. I know. I like as it got toward the end of the day, I'm like, we got to get this really awesome interview in with Jen, Jen Budd. And I'm like, it'll just be a quick day. And then news story, news story, news oh, yeah. story. That the, McCabe stuff. Yeah, that's Ooh. a really, really great uh, filing. It was like a 47 page court filing. And we're going to go into that in depth in this week's Mueller She Wrote um, this Sunday night. So if you want more information on the McCabe filing and the Strzok filing, check that out. Because we're going to go a little bit deeper because that's an hour and a half show. So we have a little more time to discuss it. Jaleesa is out today. She's in Hollywood doing a show. So thank you for filling in or I guess yes. you're always here. So to be twice the person here. <laughs> <laughs> you're not really filling in. You're just, she's just not here. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, thank you for being here. And we wish uh, Jaleesa to break legs. And yes, that is actually legs. a good thing that you don't just don't worry about it. I know. I always say good set and I catch myself. Yeah, yeah, You're right. You're supposed to say break a leg. Break legs. Break or a leg. Yeah, like you can't say good luck, same thing. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or you can't, like, you can't say Macbeth in the theater or whatever. Yeah. The play. Mm-hmm. The Scottish play. Okay. Well, um, all right. We nerded out, I think, sufficiently. Yep. And uh, we wished her well. Uh, by hoping she breaks legs. Yes. Because that's what you're supposed to do. So um, we do have a jam-packed show. Again, like I said, interview with former senior Border Patrol agent Jen Budd. Plus, we have a ton of news, so we might as well hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first, former White House counsel under the Obama administration was indicted in April. Uh, Greg Craig, and he's the only Democrat to face charges in the Mueller probe. He was uh, brought up on two charges, one for lying and one for failing to register as a foreign agent when he got caught up with the wrong crowd and started lobbying with Manafort. <laughs> he started running with the bad kids. So straight up white defense. Caught yeah. up with the wrong crowd. <laughs> exactly. He started hanging out with the wrong types of people. Mm-hmm. He um, was a good person. <laughs> Yeah, right. He got seduced by Manafort. Yes, and mm-hmm. Manafort and his his lobbying uh, deluge. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Probably not. Uh, but what's interesting is that he is the only Democrat. And uh, we just found out that one of his charges has been dismissed by mm-hmm. Judge Jackson, mm-hmm. if you're nasty. So she's handling the case, and she has dismissed the Farah charge saying that the letter he sent to the DOJ FARA office was not part of a formal FARA filing, so it could not be the basis for a charge. So he's down to one charge, lying. Huh. Yeah, so the deep state is falling apart, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, one more time. The letter he sent to the DOJ, that said what? 
his uh, Farah um, registering as a foreign agent uh, response, he sent a letter um, to the DOJ, Farah office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, and I guess it said, you know, I'm not fine. I'm not, you know, lobbying as a foreign agent. Yeah. Was not a formal Farah filing. So huh. it can't be the basis for a charge. Interesting. Okay. So the charge is related to him denying that in that letter lying to the doj i don't know what he lied about okay but he's now he's just in trouble for a 1001 all right so uh he lied and uh that is so half of the charges have been dismissed uh on our one democrat uh with two names greg craig and greg or craig called you just a little while ago which one was it greg or craig i don't know i can't keep up with all of your boyfriends yeah so i don't know i think it's you know He's Greg Craig. He 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 did lobby, I think, as as a foreign agent. And and the thing I don't understand, because I'm with you here on this, is is if he, that letter he sent didn't count as a FARA filing, and he didn't file as a foreign agent, then he should still be right. charged with not with failing to file as a foreign agent. But I guess they were basing the charge on that letter. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least how they filed the suit. Yeah. So they so that's why Judge Jackson huh. dismissed it. And then I guess the next step then, if it is logical that he should still be charged for not having done that in the first place, someone would have to bring new charges. Yes, they'd have to bring a superseding charge. So if you want to put Greg Craig on your fantasy indictment mm. league with a superseding uh, indictment, that might be a way to go. Might yeah. be a dark horse. I can't I know. imagine, you know, the people that filed it initially will just f- go softly into the night that easily. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure either. Um, I, all I can think is that and maybe they're like, you know, we might get an extra month or two and that might not be worth the taxpayer money it would yeah. cost to go through the, you know, and the time it would take uh, through the courts to, you know, bring up a whole new superseding indictment. It wasn't like when they brought 18 superseding indictments on Manafort yes. or 16 on, on Rick Gates. Um, that's a little more substantial, I think. So. Yeah. And then, of course, we have an, another recent superseding indictment we've seen is the George Nader superseding indictment. And that was for transporting a 14-year-old from Europe to his house to have sex with him. And so to rape him, I should say. So that's, you know, of course, you're going to bring that charge mm-hmm. uh, when you find it. And I do think they're going to bring another charge for another kid that he did this with in 2009. Gross. Yeah. So but he's he's not a Democrat. So but yeah, deep states falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> We've got one. You're one dude. We got it's one charge. Half. <laughs> uh, the Wall Street Journal reports this week that multiple banks are handing over documents on Russians possibly linked to Trump, uh, his family and the Trump organization. So put that up on your fantasy indictment league. If you listen to Mueller, she wrote Bank of America, Citigroup, Deutsche Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo have all recently provided documents to Congress in response to an April subpoena where the House Financial Services Committee and the House Intel Committee are working on a joint probe into potential foreign influence. And this is in addition to documents from Deutsche Bank and Investors Bank Corp, which are now furnishing loan records for Trump and his organization to Tish James, the New York Attorney General. And I don't think we need to remind you that state crimes prosecuted by Tish James cannot be pardoned, nor is Tish James bound by the Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel policy that says you can't indict a sitting president. I hope she does. Yeah. Damn, that's all the banks. All the banks. All of the banks. Yeah. My credit union's not in there, so I feel good. Right, except for all of the local ones that yeah. typically aren't dealing with white-collar criminals. Exactly. Or that's a generalization, I guess, or an assumption, I should it's say. It's probably a pretty good assumption <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that there are more white-collar criminals dealing with Deutsche Bank, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, yes. uh, Morgan Stanley, than 
you know, Mission Federal credit True, yeah. <laughs> or something like I that. I don't want to so. take the local unions off the players' table, though. Maybe no. they're like, hey, I'm also doing crimes. Right. Yeah. Like, don't don't undercut me. Yeah. <laughs> I can be cool. I'm criming. Like, I'm hanging out with the cool kids. Yeah. And like, okay, your farmer's market <laughs> scandal. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And a big NRA donor is suing the NRA, Wayne uh, and Wayne LaPierre. Uh, Jordan, what's going on with that? Because this is funny. Yeah, this is just a great week. Just yeah. new, this headline after headline about the NRA slowly going down, just like a freaking blimp, just <laughs> plunging to its death. Like a Led Zeppelin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so it's a huge NRA donor. They filed uh, not only a lawsuit, but a class action lawsuit with the intention of taking them down <laughs> as yeah. much as they can. So, yeah, he's suing him for the same thing that a lot of people are upset with Wayne LaPierre about right now in the NRA. And this, same old, same old. Yeah, same old, same old. And it is for lavish spending of their funds. So he is claiming that LaPierre spent $275,000 on just suits alone and also $243,000 on luxury travel, quote unquote. Any ostrich jackets? Not to be determined. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see. Um, I hope they like, like when he's in court, they have to like bring out all the pictures of his stupid ass clothes. Although I, I feel like Wayne LaPierre is just a regular old suit guy, mm -hmm. whereas Manafort was, you know, lizard skin. Totally. Yeah. They have different exotic inclinations <laughs> some are small boys from other countries yeah. uh, but so they uh, the legal language essentially is this guy is seeking restitution for donation solicitation fraud so being asked to give them money under false pretenses essentially he's saying you guys told me that you were going to be lobbying for a certain thing and operating in a certain way and you've totally deviated from your mission statement and this has become fraudulent at this point this guy was such a huge supporter of the NRA. His name is David Del Aquila, by the way. I think I'm pronouncing that right. A-Q-U-I-L-A. Del Sounds right. Aquila. Uh, but he gave about $100,000 uh, worth of cash and also gifts to the NRA. And he also pledged most of his estate when he dies to go to the NRA. But he's changed that now. But he's like a pretty hardcore supporter, so he's pretty pissed. God, and this is a uh, pretty sick irony, but what if he was gunned down in a mass shooting and then oh, all of his money had to go to the NRA? Oh, no. It's just it's just way my brain thinks. Uh, to sorry that's probably that. already, like, I mean, some facet of that, at least the first part, has already happened. I'm sure NRA supporters have been part of the people who have died because of gun violence. Yeah, I wonder. I 100% know that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But this guy is fed up with it. He said, we feel that the NRA no longer represents its membership and has been corrupted by those in control. Hashtag coup. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, uh, I added that part. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he, yeah, this was like I wanted a class action suit against Jill Stein when she collected donations for a recount, and mm, and apparently that yep. was under false pretenses, or she was backed by Russia or something like that. Yeah, when like, absolutely I want my money nowhere. Back. Yeah, there's no money. explanation at all. Give me back my money. Where'd that money go? Yeah. So this guy filed this as a federal class action in Tennessee, and he also sent letters to the attorneys general in New York and Washington on Wednesday, asking them to complete their investigations before the 2020 election because while it seems like he is on board with the spirit of these investigations he is very wary of them being politicized in any way so he said essentially please finish any raids you're gonna do or whatever before the actual election comes around because i don't want this to come off as some sort of like politicized 
uh, Roger Stone effort. That was a total jab at the Roger Stone thing, like an early uh, morning televised raid. Mm. Yep. Yeah, so, which we all had a heads up on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. People because we called the Stone indictment that next day. Uh, based on a lot of clues. Uh, and then, you know, we heard, oh, you, you know, you're in cahoots with Mueller, deep state. QAnon was freaking out because mm-hmm. CNN was camped outside of their house. But yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, uh, hopefully they he wins a shitload of money and they go further in debt. Yeah, definitely. He's seeking like a bunch of uh, not only their money back, but also legal fees and everything. All that other good stuff that people get back when, when they sue somebody. So that would be a huge sum of money. Yeah, gigantic. Yeah. A big, big love. So uh, I'm into that, and we will keep following that story for you. And also, Andrew McCabe has filed a lawsuit against the FBI, the Department of Justice, Christopher Wray, the FBI director, and William Barr, asking this judge to determine that his termination was unlawful to reinstate him as deputy director of the FBI and in turn reinstate his retirement benefits and full pension. They want to, He's basically saying, make me the deputy director of the FBI again for a minute, uh, even though that's not necessary because the lawsuit says that uh, he was told his last day was Friday, March 16th at 5 p.m., and he didn't get fired by tweet until 10 p.m. that night. So they're mm. also um, arguing that uh, and that they you know, rushed everything. He didn't get due process, violated his Fifth Amendment rights, violated his Fourth Amendment rights. So all sorts of different mm-hmm. um, aspects and uh, that they're coming after. There was one part that I didn't know that I thought was really interesting, and, and this might have already been known, but I didn't know it. And I have it right here. Um, Let's see. The plaintiff, McCabe, understood Rosenstein's concern about unspecified third-party complaints to include the only officials who outranked Rosenstein in the Department of Justice chain of command, Trump and Sessions. Plaintiff also explained, McCabe also explained, that he had a memorandum from the FBI's chief ethics officer stating there was no basis to find the plaintiff had any conflict or appearance of one. Uh, warranting his recusal from the Russia investigation because he was wearing that shirt Mm -hmm. campaigning for his wife. Uh, And then it says, McCabe then suggested that Rosenstein should consider recusing himself from the Russia investigation given that Rosenstein's own potential conflict as a likely witness in that investigation because Rosenstein penned the first fake letter uh, for the reason why Comey was fired. And we posited the same question on Mueller, she wrote. How is Rosenstein not recused? Isn't mm-hmm. he a witness? Is he hanging out and he's going to recuse himself at the last minute? We had talked about that. Here it is in black and white. I don't think we've seen it anywhere before. I could be wrong, but I hadn't heard it. I know we just sort of speculated. So that, <clears throat> very interesting, um, that McCabe suggested Rosenstein should consider recusing himself from the Russia investigation because he's a material witness. And uh, maybe that'll come up. Later in, you know, our coverage of the Mueller report, which comes out Thursdays on the Mueller She Wrote feed. I don't know. Maybe you can talk to him again. Probably not now that he has a lawsuit. Yeah, no, for (laughs) sure. I'm surprised he even talked to us before this because he must have known he was going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I assume. Interesting. Uh, He says, quote, um, the lawsuit says, quote, McCabe believes the United States government remains a government of laws, not of men, and has brought this case to remedy unlawful retaliation for his refusal to pledge allegiance to a single man. Hell yeah. I know. Uh, and he talk he talks about the president's unconstitutional targeting of FBI agents and officials who didn't agree with the president. They are not named in the lawsuit, but we know who they are. They're the Comey Five. If you're a Mueller she wrote fan, you know about them. And like I said, we'll take a deeper look into the Struck and McCabe lawsuits this weekend on Mueller she wrote. 
Uh, some last-minute stories that popped up while I was just gathering my things to come into the studio. Sue Gordon is out as the deputy director of national intelligence. Um, that's a bad thing. They're saying she's leaving, but I think she's been pushed out. Mm-hmm. She's a 30-year professional. She's too good for Trump to leave her there. Uh, she's nonpartisan. She's very smart. And a 30-year professional isn't just going to leave. So I think she was forced out. Mm. Um, so that I thought that was weird. Uh, and, you know, we learned McAleen in the acting director of the D, of the um, Department of Homeland Security, who's been around since the Bush years, nearly resigned because he's at odds with Trump. And as we know, <clears throat> the DHS secretary left, Kirsten Nielsen, as well as the Secret Service director, uh, the Customs and Border Protection chief resigned, saying this shit is chaos. The acting deputy direct, uh, secretary of uh, DHS is gone. So now we have uh, Trump giving Barr a declassification wand. He gets rid of Coates, and now Sue Gordon is leaving. He removed all the top career officials in the FBI, and he's dismantling the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Homeland Security, which helps us with election protection, <laughs> election protection selection, the FBI, which was investigating him. And of course, now, you know, he's already gotten rid of the CIA person. And uh, and here we have McAleen um, and Sue Gordon in the intelligence community. And they're the ones who assessed that Russia interfered to help Trump. It's just a dismantling of any agency that could possibly testify against him i think yeah definitely intentional for sure uh and i I hope there's more lawsuits like mccabe's to follow and uh today nadler is now pushing pretty hard for opening an impeachment inquiry by the end of the year uh, or impeachment hearings and pelosi is leaving the door open she's not battling him on this so of course i don't think nadler does anything without pelosi's okay at least publicly because he was he wasn't publicly saying he was for impeachment but now he is the language is getting stronger they've asked like they filed that suit to get um, mcgann's testimony so I think, uh, and they said, you know, we're, we're doing this because we're looking at opening impeachment, articles of impeachment, or writing up articles of impeachment uh, under our Article 1 powers. And so, you know, Swalwell was just on CNN a, a little bit ago, said we are conducting an impeachment investigation. Mm-hmm. So I think it might be safe to say we're conducting an impeachment investigation. Yeah. But one is not officially open. There's nothing in the Constitution <clears throat> that defines what an official impeachment inquiry is. We only have past precedent, which is in the last two impeachments. They got they took a full House vote to have a resolution to open impeachment inquiry. But as we know, a few weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago, they voted to forego that House vote. They don't need it and that the committee can declare it itself. And since Nadler is the head of that committee and he is pushing for an impeachment, I think we can probably just go ahead and say it. But... It's not, quote unquote, official to some purists who would really like to see a full House vote resolution right. to open an impeachment inquiry. Yeah. They don't think it's as foolproof that way or something. Yeah. And I, and, but I don't think it makes a difference. I think everything that they're putting in these lawsuits to get the McGahn testimony, Lewandowski testimony, to get the grand jury materials, they're invoking Article One, invoking the word impeachment and I th- and do, and saying we're doing it under that power. And so I think that will get it through the courts really quick. And I think we might see an impeachment inquiry open or an official impeachment hearings open by the end of the year. Yeah, I hope so. And I also want to bring up this point. If the Democrats do choose to move forward with an official and public impeachment inquiry and hearings, the fact that they're doing that, I think, is evidence of how serious what Trump has done is, because the closer it gets to the election, the more it's going to stir shit up and people are going to accuse him of only doing it for political reasons. And it's like... I think it only validates the case even more the further 
uh, like clo- the closer to the election that they wind right. up like we have publicly to. coming out and doing this because yeah it's, it's like so bad obviously we don't want to politically yeah it gets worse and worse the longer we wait to do this so the fact that we're still going forward with it is not because we're obsessed with ousting him if that's what our obsession was we would for sure not do this and we would put everything into just defeating him yeah because we know that it's going to make us lose points it, or the Pelosi could. mentality right it could yes I think Pelosi why, we, why would we risk it, it politically sure. exactly it's I, like we I don't have think to. it will but it's it's you know that it's speculative it's right. not a guarantee that seems to be like the general <clears throat> consensus of moderates though yeah I think so too yeah. uh, because they uh, if for some reason are operating under the assumption that when Bill Clinton was impeached it was bad for the Republicans but it wasn't yeah and if, like, the whole median voter theorem thing holds up at all in 2019, everyone ideally is supposed to be trying to appeal to the median voter. But we all know those days are fucking dead. Yeah. <laughs> glass half full. Glass half full. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Finally, it's time for What's Trending. Hashtag. As it turns out, the dude who owns SoulCycle, Equinox Gym, and the Miami Dolphins, Stephen Ross, hosted a Trump is going to host a Trump fundraiser at his mansion in the Hamptons with tickets going for two hundred fifty thousand dollars a pop, as much as that. And Ross has an estimated net worth of seven point seven billion, and he says he backs Trumps for the tax breaks, not the racism. Well, I say you can't separate yourself from the two i say you can't separate them so uh trending now on twitter is hashtag equinox boycott if you're a member of equinox or soul cycle you have an opportunity to speak with your money i'm not saying that you have to uh and take it somewhere else i belong to orange theory i can't find anything uh, about their owner or their ceo ellen latham yet if you know of anything let us know at tips at the daily no yeah and uh i always get that wrong daily bean no the daily tips at the daily beans pod and thanks uh and you guys will be right back uh for the interview with former senior border patrol agent jen bud is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals if so better help online counseling is there for you BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues like depression, stress, anxiety, relationship issues, uh, insomnia, trauma, anger, family problems, LGBTQ plus matters, and grief. All Anything you can think of, anything you're having an issue with, they have a specialized licensed professional counselor. And you can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. So anything you share is confidential, so it's very convenient. You can now get help on your own time at your own pace, and you can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat or text with your therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time with no additional charge. Best of all, it's truly affordable. And for Daily Beans listeners, you get 10% off your first month with the discount code Daily Beans. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash dailybeans, simply fill out the questionnaire to help them assess your needs, and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. You'll be glad you did. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, let's check out this interview with Jen Bud. Hey guys, joining us today is Jen Bud. She's a former senior patrol agent uh, for Border Patrol and a San Diego former San Diego sector intelligence agent. Uh, Jen, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for being here. This is so great to have you. Thanks. Because we have a lot of questions, mostly about process. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and what exactly is going on at the border now versus what was going on at the border before you know, in previous administrations. So if you could maybe tell us a little bit a little bit about these laws, the ones that make it a crime to cross the border without inspection, which means 
not, you know, crossing not at a port of entry. So tell us about the, the laws that are in place when they got there. Well, I'm 8 U.S.C. 1325 is the, you know, that's the legal term for it. And it's entry without inspection. Border Patrol agents will call it EWI for short. It just means that you're not, you know, being inspected by an immigration or customs officer. So it's anywhere that there's not a port, whether it's uh, by land or by like a, through an airport, international airport, and then down here on the border, on the southern border, are the ports of entry. So when they cross in between the ports of entry without talking first to an officer, that's entry without inspection. But when I was an agent, um, I was an agent from 95 to 2001, that was seen more as um, it was like an administrative charge. So it was considered like a civil misdemeanor, something that we wouldn't charge somebody for because it's ridiculous. It's so these are the things we're hearing in the debates. Like yeah. Julian Castro comes at Beto and says, we should repeal 1325. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. He's talking, well, and he's not saying repeal it. He's saying take it back to a civil charge. From criminal to civil. To civil. So that like if you have somebody who is entering without inspection like 20, 30 times, then they're probably going to be a smuggling guide. And so then you can charge them criminally. You have that option. But yeah, what he's arguing is to take it back to to its civil days. And, and I think that's a a very important idea because what it has done is it is criminalized immigration and, and it became criminal in 2003 under yeah. Bush. Yeah. 2003. It was a reaction to nine 11. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, that seems like uh, there was a, a lot of reaction to nine eleven, <laughs> and uh, and I know you know a lot of it's necessary. When, when uh -huh. things like yeah. that happen, we have to swing the pendulum one way. We just hope it'll come back at some point. Right. And it seemed to for a little while because people were, it was it was criminal, but were they really prosecuting them or treating them as criminals at that point? No, they were selectively using it, like I said, for somebody who they re realized was a guide or or was endangering people's lives. So they could use it if they needed to, if they had another reason. So, so they were applying it where they felt it was necessary for our safety. Right, yeah. And and how is that different from what's happening now? Now they apply it to everybody, whether you're a baby or, you know, whether you're an asylum seeker or, you know, fleeing the cartels or whatever. They're applying it to everybody. So when you hear Border Patrol agents say, well, they're all criminals, well, we're just following the law. Yeah, that's where they're getting it from. But the mm -hmm. law is not just the way that they're applying it. I gotcha. And so that's where this zero tolerance policy came in, which I believe was a Jeff Sessions joint. I think he wrote that up uh, and that was kind of or at least it came from him. It's obviously through, you know, throughout the entire Trump administration, probably born in the head of Stephen Miller. But um, <laughs> I don't want to talk about stuff that's born in that guy's head. Yeah. So that's the difference, right? And that's also the main difference between what was going on in the Obama administration, because we know Obama deported a lot. He did. That was one of the things that, you know, if somebody had to go through and criticize his administration, it would be one of the things that I would have criticized him for was how he as as much as he went after. But he didn't have a zero tolerance policy that came with this administration. Is that more correct to say? Exactly. But zero tolerance is also not necessarily zero tolerance. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they're applying that selectively. If, if you look at uh, the statistics, w- what is happening is that they're singling out families, specifically Central American families, because they're the largest group that is claiming asylum right now. So that enables them to create this crisis. Why would they single out families? I think to give the impression to let the rest of the world know not to come here is what they're trying to do. And and it, I think that Trump's pretty happy with what he's creating. You know, um, he wants people angry. He wants people in the streets. And one way to do that and is to get children involved. And right now, the Central American asylum seekers are the ones that are coming across mostly with children. And can you briefly describe to us what metering is? Because we hear this uh, a lot in the news. They throw this word around, and I don't think that anyone's actually taken the time to explain what metering is. What's that about? So at the ports down here on the southern border, and I mean, they have them at all the borders, they they have asylum officers. And asylum officers are trained in in specifically in those countries of knowing, you know, what the conditions are and who's claiming asylum. So they can tell if people are are misleading and so forth. And what they can only handle so many people a day. And what metering does is they say, let's say we used to handle 60 cases a day at San Ysidro Port of Entry. Well, now we're going to meter it and we're going to only handle 10 a day. Um, And then some days now they just don't take anybody. So Mm -hmm. they're making it uh, more difficult to come and claim asylum the legal way at the port of entry. Which is a legal right. That's a legal right. For people yeah. to claim asylum. Yeah. So what is the, the, you were talking a little bit earlier before we um, started recording here about the effect of that. What happens then by having to metering these folks and now they have to wait and wait and wait? Are they, you were tell, you're saying they're forced to cross illegally, right? Right. So... If you're coming from Guatemala and you're claiming that your life is in danger and you need asylum in the United States and you go to the San Ysidro Port of Entry and you say, por favor, this is my thing. I need to come in. This is please let me claim asylum and do my first credible fear interview. And they say, no, we can't do that. And so what it does is it, it pushes you out away from the port. Because in order to claim asylum, you technically have to put your foot on United States soil. So when you come through the port, the act of coming through the port enables you to claim asylum because your foot is on United States soil. If they turn you away and you're desperate, which these people are claiming, then they end up having to go out to the dangerous areas in between the ports, whether it be the mountains, the deserts, or the rivers, and they try and cross there. What they're trying to do is not escape the Border Patrol. They're trying to set their foot on American soil and find a Border Patrol agent to claim asylum. And so some of the repercussions of this are like the photo that we've all seen and, and talked about of, of the dad and her daughter in, exactly. in the Rio Grande. That's the, that's the effect of this. And then and you've actually talked a little bit about this seeming to be entrapment. Yeah. I mean, if uh, from my legal studies, if I recall, entrapment is basically when law enforcement sets a situation so that you're forced to commit a crime that you would not normally commit. And that is entrapment. Now, I'm not sure if there's a federal charge on that or not, so we'll have to figure that one out. But it it sounds like entrapment to me. Now, the Border Patrol claims that it's the smugglers that are bringing the asylum seekers 
over and, and making them cross in these dangerous areas. But if they were able to legally file, which is their right at a port of entry, then they wouldn't have to go out to the areas. And you actually don't even need a smuggler, honestly, to just jump over the fence and, and you know, go find a Border Patrol agent. But a lot of times they have to pay because the people on the south side are monitoring who's coming up to the fence. So they're actually border patrolling south of the border. Who comes across the border is actually controlled by cartels. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. That's different. So one of Trump's uh, campaign talking points is that there are so many more people trying to cross now uh, that there's this huge crisis. A lot of people, if, if that were true, a lot of people could blame the fact that he's ripped aid away from the Northern Triangle. But... Um, <laughs> Is it true? Are there more crossings or attempted crossings now than there have been in the past? Is this a the crisis, the caravan, the scariness that he's touting it to be? It might come as a shock to a lot of your listeners, but Trump is lying. Wait, 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 wait. You guys, 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 wait, what? No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, we know that he does that, but yeah. Is it just as many people, fewer people? I thought we had a, a. I thought that our we were at net zero. We were, but you know, one of the things that border patrol agents do, and it's what these anti-immigrant hate groups do. It's what Trump does. This is where he gets all his information from. Is that they they they're parsing out these statistics in a weird way. So so you can make statistics say whatever <laughs> yeah. you want them to say. So when they say that, oh, we've never seen this many people coming across claiming clim- claiming for asylum, that's technically true. The number of people that are claiming asylum is higher than it has been. But the number of people actually physically coming across is much lower. When I was an agent, you know, we had more people that were interested in coming across for work. We did have families. We did have asylum seekers. Uh, The majority of people I apprehended in Campo when I first started were families. And there were plenty of asylum seekers. And you got to remember, that's in Campo, in the middle of nowhere, back in the day when we had typewriters and really crappy computers. Now they have good computers and they have good programs. And the programs I use today are the same ones I used at the end of my career. And I could do an asylum seeker family probably in an hour or two easily by myself. So, you know, a couple of weekends ago, I was in El Paso with Reverend Barber and I asked an agent, I met an agent and I asked him, you know, why is it taking so long to process And he said, well, it's because the computer programs are so slow. And I didn't tell him, I didn't tell him that I know that program and I know he's lying to me because I wanted him to to keep talking to me. So with 20,000 agents, you'd think six million you'd be able to do and you have faster computers. So let's add a million and a half to that just to be super conservative. Let's be generous. Let's say that now that they have so many more asylum seekers and it is more paperwork than a voluntary return of somebody to Mexico. Let's cut that in half and say three million. Let's even be more generous and say two two million. million. Okay, so now we're that. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So they should be able to handle at a minimum, yeah. being super generous, two million asylum seekers. Yeah, mm-hmm. they should be able to handle that, no problem. And and, and you got to remember, getting? in my day, we didn't even have ICE, right? You know, so we just had Border Patrol, and and we managed to do it. So I don't. So they they should be able to handle two million. What are they handling? Uh, I think the numbers might be around. Three or four hundred thousand. In the last years, they've been averaging less. Not two million. (laughs) No, (laughs) they've been averaging less than four hundred thousand, and I don't think they're going to even hit half a million this year. I don't know. Who knows? But 
uh, you know, they're not going to get near two million. So, holy lord. Okay. Well then, uh, uh, that's interesting. And speaking of, you mentioned anti-immigrant hate groups. Uh, let's talk just for a second about. You said that the Border Patrol has a podcast. Yeah. And of course, we know about the Ten Fifteen group. Talk about talk about these groups for a little bit and how they are influenced and created. The Border Patrol has a podcast, and it's run through the union. Uh, the Border Patrol Union is uh, called the National Border Patrol Council, and they uh, run this podcast called The Green Line, and it is produced and paid for by – do you have a drum roll somewhere in there? No. Okay. I'll go like this. Breitbart Magazine. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they produce it. Why'd you make me see Steve <laughs> Bannon's face a little bit in my in mind? Yeah. The Mercers. Yeah, that makes sense. They, on, on this podcast, they use the terms that we heard in the last few days from the letter from the El Paso shooter talking about invasions and that all immigrants are criminals and drug dealers. and So they're using this rhetoric on, on the podcast as well. Yeah, this rhetoric was introduced by, I would say, a lot of different groups, but they're all kind of tied together. Uh, they bounce off of each other. They all brother and sister groups, and it's anti-immigrant hate groups. You can look on the Southern Poverty Law Center website and find all of them, but the big daddy of them all is the Federation of Americans for Immigration Reform, also known as FAIR. Their big thing is talking about, oh, we, you know, we're not against immigration. We're against illegal immigration, but they're against all immigration. And every one of their talking points uh, and objectives has been, uh, you know, put into place by the Trump administration, or most of them have. And the Border Patrol agents after 9-11 started speaking at the FAIR conventions and stuff. So they're always on their different radio programs. There are all these uh, alt-right hate programs and stuff. And these agents will go and be on them. And they, and they will talk about, you know, this invasion. And they'll show pictures and racist pictures and racist memes. Same and stuff that was in the 1015 same group. Same stuff that was in the 1015 group. And but so this podcast still goes this on. This podcast still goes on. And there are representatives and and stuff that appear on the podcast and the border patrol allows them to do this. I don't know. Does the FBI or anybody else, or maybe the military have their own active duty? I mean, you know, if they weren't active duty, then fine, but they're active duty. No, there's laws against uh, being political. Uh, you would think, but not in the border patrol. Border patrol is totally political, but I think that there is in the border patrol. There might be. There should be. There should be. But I mean, look, the DOD has laws and they're, they're starting to get, political too so yeah mm. do you think trump wants to fix this problem oh hell no 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 yeah me neither i mean if nobody wanted to come here then what would he get everybody all excited about well probably the gays or somebody else so, yeah how do yeah. you stoke fear yeah because i mean that's the rich man's yeah. job right is to keep yeah everyone else arguing with each other and hating each other so that they can steal you say so steal your money yeah Exactly. And immigrants are the easiest group to go after because they don't have any kind of representation. Nobody in Congress represents them, so nobody cares. You know, tale as old as time. Yeah. Uh, going the, after immigrants, yeah, to be honest. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it, <laughs> and after a generation, I guess we forget. And, and everyone's like, oh, this is new going after immigrants. Well, yeah, white people, us white people, let's <laughs> say. 
this is new. Right. But our black and brown friends would be like, what is wrong with yeah. you? <laughs> Where have you been? Yeah, it makes sense that uh, Trump wouldn't want to fix that. And and it, it, that's kind of evident every time they get close to any kind of reform bill, uh, even if Trump says he's going to sign it, um, then something <clears throat> always happens last minute where he's not going to and they have to pull it. But it's also hard to get true immigration reform when Democrats are kind of ambivalent about it. As, you know, the younger Democrats, not so much, but right. the older Democrats, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I mean, because Clinton was really bad on immigration. Obama was bad on immigration. So, well, yeah. I think we have a chance now, um, at least, sorry, in 2020, uh, yeah. when, you know, we've got the impetus to fix the fire that Trump's lit at the border um, right. that he's trying that he won't put out because it, it helps him mm-hmm. uh, politically. Uh, you know, now maybe we we've, we've got more on the line than just immigration reform right. um, because now we've got dreamers who are left on the lurch. We've got um, 11 million, I think, uh, immigrants who are here undocumented. So- Minus 650 today while he's in El Paso with the mourners. He sent his ICE agents to Mississippi and raided a Coke chicken plant and hauled 650 undocumented, suspected undocumented migrants out. Oh, my God. And hauled them away on buses while their children cried. Yeah. They said, well, it's planned. It's been planned for a long time, but, you know, you you could have postponed it. You didn't have to do it on the day that the you're day in, he's in El Paso. You're in El Paso. I actually had these really weird visions that he was going to do it in El Paso while he was there. He might be. Who knows? Like when all the protesters showed up. Yeah. Um, that he would have ICE agents out there hauling people away from the protests. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. All right. Let's see one last question here. Why did you leave the Border Patrol? Uh, I left the Border Patrol for a variety of reasons. I was uncomfortable with the racism. I was uncomfortable with uh, the misogyny that is just horrid in the Border Patrol. And most of the agents I was working with were actually committing real crimes. And the people that I was apprehending every day were simply trying to find a better life. And then I found out my boss at the station was the one organizing the smuggling into the United States with narcotics. And um, I tried to go forward. They offered me a promotion to keep quiet. I said no. And then that night they put me on on the border and I got automatic weapon fire at me. It was from the south side of the fence, but they made me do a stationary position right in the area that always brought the drugs across that we knew where they were bringing them across. At that time, there was a fence, and all I could see was the automatic weapon fire, and I just threw my truck in reverse and, and got out got out of there. But when I was calling for backup, nobody answered at the station. Nobody answered in my zone that I was working. Nobody answered at San Diego Sector Headquarters Dispatch. And then he, that boss showed up at 3 a.m. and said, have you learned your lesson, you know, basically. And when I left, I said, I am resigning because this agency is corrupt. Wow. Well, um, I am, for one, certainly glad that you were here with us today. Um, thank you for coming on. Do you have any f- final thoughts or anything, any other, um, some, anything else you want our listeners to know before we say goodbye? And we'll have you back. I understand that it's complicated, and if they send in questions, I'd be happy to answer their questions as best as I can. And, you know, if I don't know, then I don't know, and I'll let you know. But thanks for listening. Well, awesome. If you have any questions, you guys, for Jen Bud, send them to tips at thedailybeanspod.com. 
and put Jen Bud in the subject line and we'll get those questions to her. Thanks again for coming out, former Border Patrol agent Jen Bud. Have a great day. Guys, that's our show for today. Thanks for indulging us with our 20-minute amazing interview with Jen Bud. You guys, she's really an incredible person. Um, please subscribe to us on your podcast player. Um, subscribe to The Daily Beans by searching for The Daily Beans uh, in you know wherever you get your podcasts and click subscribe. We're going to be pulling these episodes out of the Muller She Wrote feed soon. And you'll want to be subscribed so that you can continue to get the episodes. Um, and also, if you have any family members who support Trump, grab their phones, subscribe. And uh, leave us a rating or become a patron for ad-free episodes at patreon.com slash the daily beans. Any final thoughts, Jordan, before we head out? Uh, no, this has been fun. Yeah, it's been a really, really newsy, newsy day. Yeah, totally. The only final thought I have is that um, I am seriously uh, disturbed and my heart goes out to these kids who have been abandoned by ice raids in Mississippi and elsewhere. Um, these, these children who now have no parents um, because they were arrested. They were... I don't know if arrested. I guess arrested is the right. They're yeah, de- detained, they're zip, taken away. Either zip tying or leading them onto buses. Yeah. And um, now they're either in foster care uh, or, you know. Um, strangers are just helping. In shelters. Strangers are helping. Uh, if you know of any anything we can donate to to help these kids, um, uh, connect with us on Twitter at daily beans pod and we'll blast it out and and send it to at muller she wrote too we'll blast it out there and um just again please i know these are weird times everything is really tough and uh it can be hard so keep smiling as best you can do some yoga take a bath give yourself a hug hug your family um take care of yourselves take care of each other i've been ag i've been jordan coburn and them's the beans the daily beans is produced by ag featuring jaleesa johnson and jordan coburn and engineered and edited by mackenzie mazell and starburns industries our marketing manager is sarah lee steiner and our merchandising manager is sarah hirschberger valencia fact checking and research by ag jaleesa johnson and jordan coburn with executive assistance by amanda reader our music is written and performed by they might be giants our web design and branding are by joel reader with moxie design studios and our website is dailybeanspod.com <laughs>